Hello, everybody, and welcome to Chasing Phantom, the podcast about Broadway's longest-running shows. I'm your host, David Timberline, and this will be the first post-Tony Awards episode. Uh, Post-2023 awards, that is. I have to qualify because everything on the internet lives forever. But first off, I have to say it was exciting and maybe surprising that the event happened at all, given the writer's strike, a situation that was mined for some pretty nice jokes. Ariana DeBose was an engaging and glamorous host. There were two non-binary winners, and Kimberly Akimbo picked up a boatload of awards. That's my quick recap. There's plenty more I could say, but I'm frankly just a little miffed about that last bit. Not because Kimberly Akimbo did not deserve the accolades, but mostly because I actually saw that production. Relatively rare for me these days, and it was not a good experience. Two key reasons were, number one, that there was an understudy in for the lead role, who was fine but not exactly transcendent, I guess. More importantly, however, was the fact that the crowd was made up largely of high school kids from Richmond, Virginia, of all places, my hometown. While these kids did not riot or tear the place down or anything extreme, they were a persistent, annoying presence throughout the show. Um, yeah. Buy me a drink sometime and I could give you the details, but the bottom line is that for the first time in many years, I saw the Tony Award-winning musical before it won the Tony. And instead of having bragging rights about such a thing, I now have a grumpy old man story about these damn kids these days. It's not a good look. Anyway, don't let that get you down, dear listener, because for this episode, I have a supreme treat for you. There's a podcast I like a lot called Ologies, as in biology, geology, etc., and the host always encourages people to ask smart people dumb questions. Well, this episode is the Broadway version of that, as I get to ask one of the smartest theater people I know, Phil Crosby, about a fabulous classic production, Grand Hotel. I will warn you, there was a slight little tech issue near the beginning that forced me to re-record some little slices of my side of the conversation, but that hardly matters because the best parts of the conversation are those provided by Phil, supported by his prodigious knowledge of theater history. So, without further ado, let's get to it. We're here to talk about Grand Hotel. I'm so excited because I feel like we have finally landed on one of those truly, intensely, perfectly Broadway shows. One one that seems like engineered for Broadway. Oh, yeah. And so I'm also happy because I am here speaking with the perfect person to talk about the perfectly engineered Broadway show. <laughs> and that is Phil Crosby. He is the executive director of Richmond Triangle Players, one of the country's leading theaters focused on producing work showcasing the experiences of LGBTQ plus individuals. And he has been at RTP for almost 15 years now. Mm-hmm. And he, before RTP, he had a very illustrious career and he has a total of more than 35 years of experience leading nonprofit arts and cultural organizations, including Cleveland's Great Lakes Theater Festival, Boston Shakespeare Festival, Theater Virginia, and Richmond Ballet. Thank you for coming in, Phil. Thank you for inviting me. This is fun. I, I loved reading, uh, well, as you know, the original web blog and yeah. would comment profusely on your <laughs> writing. So well, I'm thrilled we get to talk about it in person. Me too. Well, and you know, since I started doing the podcast, you were the first person I wanted to have on. But, you know, because of the nature of the different shows, I really wanted to get one that, like, felt truly your wheelhouse. And I think we've landed on one. I'm thrilled about this one. Yeah. And I think, hopefully, there will be many more to come. I hope so. Yeah. 
I so, hope I do well <clears throat> enough that you invite me back. <laughs> I hope I do well enough <laughs> to warrant you coming back. That's, how about that? I have to say, how can you not love Grand Hotel? If you like theater, if you like musicals yep. at all, how can you not like it? It's corny. It's overblown. It's a little maudlin. It's exuberant. It's romantic. It has all these great adjectives mm-hmm. about it. It's like, to me, it's quintessential Broadway. And I'm going to give a little bit of background, and then we'll just chat about it. Sure. So it opened in November of 1989, and it ran until April of 1992, total of 1,017 performances. Mm-hmm. It was nominated for 12 Tony Awards. Mm-hmm. Uh, it won with five of them. Tommy Toon, who we'll, I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about, won for both Best Director and Choreography. Jules Fisher, who was name-checked on this podcast a couple episodes ago because he was the production designer for Beatlemania, of all mm-hmm. things, won for Lighting Design, and it lost Best Musical to City of Angels. So. Mm-hmm. Interesting that I don't think City of Angels ran as long, though. I don't think it did. Yeah, so. um, It's a bit of a down season for musicals. The... um all the power seemed to be in the revivals that year. Really? There was a great revival of Gypsy that year with Tyne Daly. And okay. That got a lot of attention. Okay. City of Angels is also, if you ever do the show, yeah. it's a, a fascinating score and a fascinating concept, yeah. but whoa, tough to do. Really? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. We'll have to circle back on that someday, yeah. I guess. Michael Jeter won for Best Featured Actor in a Musical. Just earlier today, I rewatched his acceptance speech from the Tony Awards, and if you want to feel good about humanity it's worth going out to chasingphantom.net and checking out that clip we'll talk more about michael jeter in a second but first i also should mention that over the course of its two and a half year run grand hotel made 43 million dollars which translates to about 93 million dollars in 2023 money so not too shabby uh, but before we started recording, Phil, you were talking about how Grand Hotel had a huge development period, had the longest de- documented <laughs> development period of any Broadway show. Yeah, so it started in '58. Uh, yeah, right with uh, when it was at the Grand. Yeah, and what what I didn't realize at the time that I first wrote about this is it actually is based on a 1929 novel. Right. That By was Vicky then, Baum. Right. Yeah. That was then turned into a movie, a play, a straight play starring. Greta Garbo, John Barrymore, Joan Crawford, and Lionel Barrymore. Well, that was the movie. Right. That's the movie. Ver- yeah, that's the, that's movie, the movie, movie version. And if you've never seen it, you must. Yeah. It's um, like Grand Hotel. Is a, the musical is a quintessential Broadway musical. That film is like Hollywood of that era. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, at its best. 1932, which is amazing because you don't really think of the great films kind of starting until 38, 39. Right. But it's brilliant in the design and scope, and it's pre-code. So uh, the role uh, that Joan Crawford plays as the typist is a little more scandalous than one expects it to be. Oh, really? That's very cool. Yeah, yeah, I haven't seen it. So, what what I put that on your must list? Yeah. Well, it it did. It went on my must list as soon as I saw that it's the movie that Greta Garbo first says, "I want to be alone," Mm -hmm. (laughs) which I was like, Mm -hmm. I just thought that was a bit. I didn't know that that actually comes from. That was one of her lines. Yeah, I want to be alone. (laughs) So that's another reason to you know to be talking about. Grand Hotel is like it's got that iconic line from the movie mm-hmm. at least. So God and she was beautiful. Oh. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well I want to be alone. Where have you been? I just want to be alone. 
You're going to be very much alone, my dear madam. This is the end. So in 1957, you mentioned 1958. Well, in 1957, playwright Luther Davis hooked up with Robert Wright and George Forrest, who wrote the music and lyrics for At the Grand, which you mentioned was the original title of the show. Luther Davis had a career writing scripts for a string of movies in the late 30s that starred, among other 1930s-era stars, Clark Gable, Lauren Bacall, Barbara Stanwyck. And later, in 1964, he would write a movie called Lady in a Cage, which included James Caan's first movie role. Uh, like Davis, Wright and Forrest were based in Los Angeles because they were writing for the movies. Basically. Correct. They wrote and adapted most of those Nelson Eddy, Jeanette McDonald musicals. Oh, okay. They were the ones who repurposed the music and wrote new lyrics and yeah. did all of that, which is how they started their familiarity with classical composers okay. and, and, you know, kind of spiffing that um, stuff up and uh, then did met with Albert Moore okay. and his wife, Joan Diener, who was the, the lead, along with Alfred Drake, out there, and then it came to New York. Okay. Um, it was a big hit, although it opened in the middle of a newspaper strike, so it never got reviewed. Really? Interestingly enough, oh, yeah. Wow. Uh, but it was a big hit. Well, and it may have been a big hit because it never got reviewed. That's <laughs> <laughs> oh, really? Okay. Well, because audiences loved it. Okay. And they took to it, and they didn't, you know, they didn't rely on critics to tell them whether it was good or not. So yeah. it was just a big hit, and they, they went and they liked it. Fate can play a trick with a twine To weave the evil and good in one um, But I think they were looking for another piece yeah. to work on, and I believe that's how Grand Hotel kind of... And Luther Davis was on Kismet as well. Right, okay. Well, in... Wright and Forrest, I don't, I had never heard of them before. They're, you're not, they're not in the ballpark of Candor and Ever or anything mm-hmm. like that. So, did, you know, what was your understanding of them before, you know, looking into this at all? Well, they were, um, there are people who just adore them. Hmm. Uh, and they have a long history of working in and how they, they are kind of like those folks who work a lot and you've never heard of them. Okay. Kismet is probably their biggest hit. Yeah. But they also did similar works of adaptations. Uh, there is Grand Hotel, actually, I think is completely original. It's not based on any classical composers, but they did a piece called Keen, based on the life of Edmund Keen, starring mm. Alfred Drake, which was based on, oh, I'm going to forget the composer, but it was another composer. Okay. And then they did one called Anya, which was the Anastasia story, oh, interesting. which had, again, uh, Rimsky Korsakov, maybe? But they did adaptations of, of that music. Okay. Uh, but none of them had the, the, the success of a kismet yeah. until Grand Hotel. Okay. Again, I just have to say, I'm so glad that you're here. You you pull these names out of <laughs> the the ether, and I'm like, I have no idea who these people are. And, oh, you know. God. It's just, I, yeah, there's no room for anything important in my brain, but all of this stuff <laughs> is there. Well, you know, beyond Candor and Evan, you know, Sondheim and a couple mm-hmm. others, I'm, you know, you, you only go so deep with composers <laughs> with me. I think we have to talk about the Tommy Tune of it all, that he gets mm-hmm. brought in um, 30 years after, yeah. the, you know, Wright and Forrest start working on it. And he starts, you know, his quest to bring it to Broadway. And I guess he had changed it from Rome to Berlin. Right. Which, you know, seeing it now seems like that's so much, seems very core to the, the feel of the show. I think so. Um, it had been changed to Rome, from what I understand, hmm. because Joan Diener, who was Alf- uh, Albert Marr's wife, 
Okay. And a very she uh, Joan Diener was Eldonza in uh, Man of La Mancha. Oh, okay. So if you can imagine that voice, uh-huh. right? That's not a, you don't want her a ballerina. Right. You know, you think she should be an opera she singer. So that's why they rewrote her to be an opera singer as okay. opposed to a ballerina. And I think I'm not sure why they picked Rome. Oh, I do, uh, because they wanted to base her on Callas, oh. on Maria Callas. Really? So that's where that came from. Paul Muni was the big star mm. of the original okay. at the Grand. He played Kringline, Kringline, who is the um, accountant uh, uh, the who Michael is Jeter. dying, the Michael Jeter role. Yeah. Um, and he was the nominal star of the piece. And as was the norm, he rewrote it a lot. They rewrote <laughs> yeah. it a lot for him. Right. They removed the Jewishness of the character because of the time. Oh, interesting. Uh, even though Paul Muni was Jewish, but they removed it. And his he was no longer coming there to live his last days. He was actually a hotel employee. and oh. I mean, they did all these changes. Oh, wow. Um, that, that's also something that seems kind of in, endemic to the story is the fact yes. that he's dying. Yes, and I think uh, it didn't, none of that worked out very well. Um, <laughs> yeah. It sold really well at those two venues in the right. West Coast, but then Paul Muni was also sick himself uh, and couldn't continue with the show, so it just didn't, the plan had been to move, like Kismet, to move it to New York. But okay. He was sick, and yeah. Joan Diener was not enough to sell tickets on, so. Right. I realize that we haven't really talked about the plot of the show, which we probably should for those who don't know it. But it, I mean, it's pretty simple. It's a, it's a hotel. Mm-hmm. I mean, actually, it's part of the, I don't know, the ethic of the show is like people are just coming in and out of, mm-hmm. the, of this hotel. And some of, some of the key characters are a kind of faded ballerina in mm-hmm. the new Broadway version, a an accountant who is dying, who mm-hmm. is who has withdrawn all his money and he's there to kind of splurge and have a great time at the end. A baron who is like kind of this swarthy, handsome character who is has a title but no money and so is basically kind of a swindler. Yeah, and a burglar. Yeah. yeah. There's a CEO um, and a secretary. The secretary on the original Broadway version was Jane Krakowski, a like 19-year-old Jane Krakowski. Yeah. Who I can, I mean, you see the video of it. It's just amazing. She was like, she just lit up the stage. Mm-hmm. She was somebody you could tell was just ready for greatness from the beginning. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. She was wonderful. Yeah, it's those, uh, those are the three, I guess the major, right? The three major stories. And then there are stories that follow that some of the employees in the hotel. There's a, right. oh, sort of a doctor commentator. Right. Um, right, right. Who is a cocaine addict and um, one of the bellboys or someone his wife is in the hospital about right. to have a baby. Have a, yeah. um, and there are all these stories that are kind of separate and yet intermingle at places. Right. And I think probably Arthur Haley, when he wrote Hotel, his the later novel, huh. probably had some of that as an inspiration because yeah. the, he used the same kind of format. It was in the hotel. There were some standard characters. Right. But then all these other stories happened and they intertwined right. and intermingled, but did, they didn't all necessarily meet. Right, right. Grand Hotel will end always the same. People come, people go, look at them, living the highlight. The time is running out. 
Yeah, well, it, I think it's also it's a, just a great format, I think, mm-hmm. of a fancy hotel, different stories intersecting. And, and the way it eventually plays out in this Broadway show is that then there's, you know, there's love affairs, there's the, the Baron, the thief, and he gets caught, and he mm-hmm. gets, I'm spoiling a 30, 40-year-old right. thing, but he gets shot. So there's a, you know, they both went for a gun kind of moment. Exactly. <laughs> um, so I, I think, again, to me, this is such a great quintessential story in that it, Broadway story in particular is that it introduces these characters, allows them to tell their stories, mm-hmm. and then you see how they bump up against each other. Yeah, it's, it's just marvelous, I yeah. think. I do. I love the score. What Wright and Forrest wrote a lot, of, well, a lot of, we can just jump ahead into that. Sure. I guess the musical had a troubled, even when Tommy Toon came on, right, um, right. had a bit of a troubled gestation process. Right. And uh, he, and Wright and Forrest at that age, at that time were old guys. I yeah. mean, you know, they were like, mm, I don't know if I would write all this new stuff. Right. Um, and Tommy Toon had had, just had met huge success working with Maury Yeston on Nine. Mm-hmm. Um, so he brought, you know, asked, it was nice, <laughs> Tommy Toon's a gentleman, asked Wright and Forrest if they could have, if they, it would be okay for Maury Yeston to come in. And they were like, oh, okay. okay. Um, <laughs> and and then, they did. And they ultimately, like, rewrote basically most of the Most shit. of the score. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's some of... There's some of the right and force that's there, but uh, the arc of the show, of the the arc of the score, is Maury Eston, and yeah. you can tell that if you know his. I mean, his scores are brilliant. There are mm-hmm. very few of them, but they're brilliant. I mean, Nine, Titanic. These, yeah. these, this is this is an amazing person who writes music and lyrics. Yeah. So, but yeah, uh, that had been brought in, and it's um, and it's very uh, it's very Tommy Tune. It's it's spry. It's <laughs> it's light. It is directed and choreographed within an inch of its life. <laughs> <laughs> well, and brilliantly. I, oh yeah. Well, and and I think you know, to me this is not a score that has lived on as something that I would go back to mm-hmm. necessarily. But the song "We'll Take a Glass Together" mm-hmm. is one of those songs that, besides the Tommy Tuneness of having a whole phalanx of dancers behind them as they sing it it's just this great interaction of characters sitting at a bar drinking toasting to each other and you know getting progressively drunker and Mm -hmm. stuff like that it's just it's it's a great time we'll take a glass together in celebration of our meeting in celebration it's a marvelous and it's a great moment between the Michael Jeter character Kringlein who is really a nobody in society and they're only treating him well because he brought in a ton of money so they think he's rich (laughs) and that's the Baron's interest in him originally is that the Baron thinks he's rich and the Baron thinks oh I'll swindle him too I'll get I'll get some of his money but the Baron actually grows to be very fond of Kringlein and learns his story yeah and in a way becomes a little bit of his protector yeah as the story goes on and right. it's, it's lovely well and i guess we should also talk a little bit about michael jeter for people who don't know who he is he was an actor who had dropped out of acting because mm-hmm. of problems with alcoholism and i mean it's a little ironic when you think about it now that when when they perform at the tony's about Grand Hotel, they do the, we'll have a glass together. So you mm-hmm. have this former alcoholic, Michael Jeter, pantomiming, drinking, and getting drunk. Mm-hmm. And getting, he's such a great physical comedian, basically. Oh, yeah. As he's getting drunker, and he's kind of doing the Charleston, but then also flipping over the bar and stuff like that. That it's, number got him the Tony Award. I mean, that was it. Yeah. You watch him do that number, and it's like, okay, Tony Award. Yeah. Yeah. No question. Well, and, and so he gives this great, I would highly recommend people, if they haven't, go to my website, 
chasingfandom.net. Watch his acceptance speech. It's such a mm-hmm. great moment hearing him, the authentic happiness and gratitude that mm-hmm. he's expressing at that point is just kind of amazing. Um, and also didn't live m- a whole lot longer after yeah, that I mean, show, right? Well, he ended up, he went on to appear in 30 movies, which I think a lot of people will know him from like the Green Mile. That's that's correct. And um, did, a, did a good amount of TV work too. Right. But he yeah, he died when he was 50. So mm. yeah, younger than both of us. <laughs> <coughs> a lot <longer> yeah. than <laughs> <laughs> but then also the character who played the Baron in the original uh, Broadway run, David Carroll, he, you know, seduces the ballerina and he becomes friends with the Michael mm-hmm. Jeter character. He died of age-related il- illness mm-hmm. before the or between the end of the show's run and the recording of the cast album. Yeah. So I think there's uh, some kind of engineering trickery to get him on the cast album, but he's not the... He had done know. a cabaret act um, at one of the nightclubs and he sang his big song yeah um and it was actually because he was ill ill ish mm-hmm. coming into the show david carroll though again was an actor of massive potential at the time yeah. um had just starred in chess on broadway and everyone was like oh david carroll and i mean magnificent voice so clearly, i might very nearly lose myself And interestingly, it took two years to get the cast album of Grand Hotel recorded. Hmm. I mean, it literally came out around the time the show closed. Because the show opened in 89, and I think they didn't record it until 91, 92. But it it was a weird time in recording. Things weren't getting done. And the the model, which had always been for recording companies to invest in Broadway shows by getting the rights to, you know, by paying for the rights of the recording. Oh, okay. Uh, you know, by the 90s, you didn't sell as many cast albums as right. you did for My Fair Lady. Right. So... They weren't as hungry for it. They weren't as hungry for it, and record companies were coming after it, and there was nothing about... As you know, by listening, just listening to the CD, you're like, eh, this isn't as... A com-, you know, it isn't a commercial experience. Right. Yeah. City of Angels has the same issue as a recording. Right. So you... I'm, I'm not surprised yeah. that, it, that it, it, it didn't go. I think City of Angels came out because Cy Coleman put money into it. Yeah. He produced the recording. He wrote the okay. score and he produced the recording. But anyway, yeah, so uh, they had been able to find a recording of David Carroll doing his big song okay. at this cabaret act, and they included that as a bonus track. Yeah. Oh, it's so sad when you think about all the potential lost. Well, both he and, and Jeter died of AIDS-related yeah. uh, complexes. I mean, just, and that, you know, was the tail end in New York, maybe, maybe, of the people really famous you know, going out it was yeah. right before the cocktail came out and folks were um, being able to get through it. But. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, in, in happier news, Jane Krakowski is still out there and doing game shows. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Tommy Toon is still with us. Still, Tommy Toon is still out there. Jane Krakowski, though, she had, I didn't realize that she made her Broadway debut in Starlight Express. Mm-hmm. On roller skates, yeah. I did not know that. Mm. Yeah. Um, well, I have to talk a little bit about the critical reaction at the time, which was not universally positive correct um frank rich said it impresses the audience without engaging it did you ever see it i didn't see it in uh new york i saw a production of it uh at signature theater in oh. arlington about four or five years pre pre-pandemic so i have no idea how long ago that was but right. it was before that and it was just wonderful yeah. it works like crazy yeah <laughs> it just does yeah 
Well, it does have, like I said, it's got all those pieces. You get great people to pay, play those roles. And I think that's one of the things that when I went back and read the reviews, it seemed to me that this is a show that got better with age, that mm-hmm. as this cast grew together and those characters got in better relationship with each other, that it probably, you know, it translated to the audience a lot better than maybe it did to the critics at first. I think that's <clears> probably <throat> true. There's a lot of very subtle stuff going on. Yeah. Um, you could miss the fact that the Karen Akers character, who is the, the maid secretary yeah. to the ballerina, right. is massively in love with her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she has that one song where you're like, did I hear that? <laughs> did, I, did, right. I, did she really say that? Right. Some way wise, like someone who But it's, you know, it's these little one-off moments that right. happen in the show. So unless you see it and you see the actor bringing that subtext to right. every piece of it, yeah. you might miss a little bit of it. I think it's, I think it's beautifully crafted. Yeah. Well, and I think if you get the right person in the Michael Jeter role, for instance, or in the Jane Krakowski role, it's a, it's a, it's a marquee opportunity to yeah. really dive in and really do great work. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it, it gives you all the all the chances to do it. Yeah. Well, ultimately, Grand Hotel would be the first American musical since Big River, which we covered a couple episodes ago, to run more than a thousand performances. So uh, kind of pushing back the British invasion a little mm-hmm. bit. But it's never really been revived. There was a New York City Encores presentation that was right. done in 2018. But what do you think about the potential of anyone bringing this kind of thing back? I would hope somebody would because it's really good. It falls into the, I think, the category of those really big shows that people are really leery about doing really big again. Oh, okay. Um, it's got a big cast. There's yeah. no way around it. Right. There's no, you got to have all those people <laughs> in that show. Right. It needs an orchestra. Mm-hmm. of a certain size to play the kind of music that all of those guys wrote. Right. And so I, I think it's, and it wasn't a huge hit. Right. I mean, it was, it ran a long time. Sure. But as you said, it kind of fell out of people's consciousness after that. Right. Um, so I don't know. I mean, you know, it's rocky to get Camelot back on stage these days. <laughs> right. So yeah. I, 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 I don't know. I think it's, I think its life will be in places like Signature in mm-hmm. Arlington and, and places that have a real regard for a real mission about musical theater yeah. to bring it back and keep it alive. Because yeah. I, I think it's a marvelous show. It, well, and I also feel like, to me, I was thinking with a few little tweaks, you know, the CEO character, the Baron character, like update them a little bit, maybe. I don't know. It seems to me like there's a there's a great, there's a very sturdy structure there that could be built on. That, I mean, that's very possible. You could, you'd have to be careful to not get it all feeling a little grimy. Right. Right. Because <laughs> right. some of the stories are like, ew. Yeah. yeah, but, yeah. And, and, the, and the remove of some time. Right. You know, makes them. Mm-hmm, yeah. It's mm-hmm. Berlin. It's post-World War II. Two, yeah. yeah. It's like. Yeah. Right. But, you know, the, the fact that the secretary is kind of putting her, you know. To get ahead, as some women needed to do in 32, is basically prostituting herself. Right, right. Yeah. Um, but has a happy ending. <laughs> because that's how it works, right? In yes. real life, sure. <laughs> she has a happy ending and ends up with somebody nice. That's right. Well, um, a couple final fun facts to add that for the New York City Encores presentation, I didn't realize this, but Helene York played the Jane Krakowski role, uh, Flemchen. Flem- mm-hmm. Flemchen. Um, she is currently in the other two. 
the Comedy Central show? Have oh, you yeah. Seen? I haven't seen that. Yeah, so she was in the uh, New York, not exactly a revival, but the New York Encores production. And that um, Brandon Jacob Uranowitz. Uran- Uranowitz, thank you so much, um, played the Michael Jeter role, the Otto mm-hmm. role, in the Encores production. And he is currently nominated for a 2023 Tony for Best Featured Actor for mm-hmm. Leopoldstadt. Yeah. So, so and it was fun to see, uh, and you'd smartly put it on on your blog, mm. but it was amazing to see in the encores production how they just they did the number. Yeah, <laughs> they I mean, he did it a little bit differently because he's a, a bigger man. Right. And my, I mean, Michael Jeter was this tiny little slip of a thing. Oh, absolutely. And Brandon That's, is a, yeah. is a bigger sort of fella, but they did that number. Yeah. That number the way it was done. Jeter's still better, but it's <laughs> they did the number, and I I. There comes a point where, as a if you're reviving something, you just have to look and go, no, that was just perfect. That was <laughs> There's no reason to f- you know fool around with that. That yeah. was just perfect. Right. Yep. Well, you know, based just on there's there actually you will also see in my blog there are people who have uh, recorded the production from the audience. Not great quality, mm. but you know, based on watching those, I gave this a show this show an A. I think it's an A. Yeah. I think it's very much a, well and. Simply to watch what Tommy Toon does mm. as a director-choreographer, and we didn't hit on that a lot, but right. he's brilliant. Yeah. I mean, he's brilliant. The fact that he can create a whole bar out <laughs> of two guys holding a pole, <laughs> right. and you believe it. Right. Oh, yeah. Um, and he creates the whole activity. The set was nothing but a revolving door for the entrance, right. ballroom chairs, and an, an upstairs kind of balcony where the orchestra was. Yeah. And yet you believed you were in a hotel Absolutely. every single moment yeah i it was just it was just brilliant and a shout out too to robin wagner who just passed away because he did the scent really yeah oh that's cool well and i think it's also those elements of the set were also thematically so key i mean the revolving door is mm-hmm. just key to just the idea of what's happening at the hotel exactly yeah and yet you could move them around you could be simple right. you could you could then go to one place or another so it isn't a set you didn't wait for this giant lumbering hotel room to come on. <laughs> yeah, right, totally. You know, a, a chaise would come on to indicate where the ballerina's room was, right. and et cetera. You know, a little desk and a phone could yeah. be another place. Right. So it was really brilliantly and very simply done. Yeah. The tune was just amazing at that. Yeah. Well, we both loved it. I loved talking to you about it. It was fun. Yeah, this is great. Well, I can't wait for the next one, the you, next big show that I can dig into. You let me know when it is, and right. I'll show up. Okay. Well, thank you very much. Thank you, David. Okay. This is great. That's just great. I mean, really, isn't that great? Sometimes I think I know a few things about theater, and then I talk to someone like Phil and think, dude, you are so out of your league. Anyway, please come back in two weeks for another crazy little treat. It will be my first interview where I'll be bringing in a special guest via Zoom. She lives in Colorado and has a big name in Virginia Regional Theater, and I'll just leave it at that. We'll be talking about damn Yankees and what Lola wants is for you to tune in. And of course, what Lola wants, well, you know the rest. As always, please visit my website, chasingphantom.net, for more clips, more fun facts, and other interesting tidbits about Broadway history. Chasing Phantom is a production of Timber Todd Pods, and please listen to our other currently running podcast, Convince Me I Care, which 
Coincidentally, the first episode that we ever did for Convince Me I Care was about fancy award shows that talks a little bit about the Tony Awards. You can go to either TimberToddPods.com or ConvinceMeICare.com to find out more. As always, you can send in and you are encouraged to send an email to us at TimberToddPods at gmail.com. The composer of our theme song, our lovely theme song, is the one, the only, Mason Timberline, now back home from college. Come by and say hi to him. Follow, rate, and review Chasing Phantom on all the podcast platforms. But most important, please come back in two weeks for our next episode. See you then. See you then.